Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. Going. Let me tell you. Just, just sit right back, John. I'll tell you a tale. A tale of a fateful trip. You see, this tale, it started in a tropic port. I was there, and I climbed aboard this, this tiny ship. The mate of this ship, he... He was a sailing man. He was mighty. Big fellow. He had a skipper with him that was brave and confident, sure of himself. You know what I mean? All in all, I think there were five passengers on this boat. We all set sail that very day. It was supposed to be a short cruise, John. No more than three hours were we going to be out on the, the briny deeps. Three hours. Everything was going just fine, too, John, until, well, the weather, it started getting rough. This tiny ship that I was on, it got tossed to and fro. We wound up reliant on the fearless crew of our boat, which we called the Minnow, John. It was the, the Minnow was this vessel. We were afraid she'd be lost. It was a, it was a long fight, John. I wound up grounded, tossed by the storm onto the shore of a uncharted desert isle. And I was there. Gilligan was there. Skipper, he was there. Some rich guy. His wife was there. There was a movie star on the boat. A professor. Some girl named Marianne. Everything was fine until we ran out of coconuts. Well, we did our best, John. That's all I'll say. Hey, uh, our damned best. Yeah. Hey, hey, Matt. That, that's the uh, intro to the uh, retro TV show Gilligan's Island. I think you, you just had a bad dream or something, maybe? No, they made the show after us, damn it. Oh. Okay. It wasn't as funny as they made it out on TV, though. I'll tell you that uh, much. It was a... Uh, Fabricated and elaborated for, for television. Based, saying. loosely based on real events. You know, mm. I didn't we had see no that phone. We had no lights. We had no motor cars. We didn't have a single luxury on that island, John Murphy. Just like they wrote about in that book, Robinson Crusoe, we were as primitive as we could be. Why does always people always smile when I tell that story? I don't understand it. It was terrible. It was terrible. I think, I think the TV show did you wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I'm out. I, That's a good one. I was stretching that as best I could. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
On tonight's episode, we're going to be reviewing the 1975 adventure thriller Jaws, starring Roy Scheider, directed by Steven Spielberg. This is a spoiler podcast, so if you've never seen this movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. Stay tuned until the end of the episode, where we reveal what our next movie will be so you can follow along with us. If you would like to get in touch with us or give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you would like to support us monetarily and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. We use the money to improve the quality of the podcast. So in advance, thank you very much. Let's get started with our review Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. This is Universal's extraordinary motion picture version of Peter Benchley's best-selling novel, Jaws. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. Did you see that? It's all psychological. You yell barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. Fourth of July. Is it true that most people get attacked by sharks? Um, reading the plot synopsis from imdb.com. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community off Cape Cod, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Matt, you picked this one? Mm Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's going to be a lot of gushing, but... Why did you pick this movie? Um, first and uh, foremost, so we've uh, we've had a run of kind of some stinkers on the show lately. How dare you! Uh, it's also summertime, and so I wanted to, I wanted to pick a good one, what I one that I felt that fit with the, the theme and that what I thought was a good movie. And to be honest with you, um, I, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, I absolutely adore this film, and I wanted an excuse to watch it again in the summertime. And so all those combined to bring this to the table for your listening ears today. Mm. Very good. Uh, The movie was based on a novel written Mm -hmm. by Peter Benchley. Uh, Have you read that? I have have read that. Uh, I've read almost all of his books, actually. Um, Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those where the the book is outstanding. 
Um, but I, I really like the movie too. Um, and, and in all honesty, I haven't read that book in, it was a long time ago. We're talking probably 15, 20 years ago when I read that book. So, um, it's not, I'm not going to be bringing any fresh novel comparisons to you this evening, but, uh, I do remember really liking it. I liked it enough that I did go on a Peter Benchley tear and I just kind of ripped through most of his books. And here's a fun little twist of fate. I moved from those books a little bit later onto all of the Meg books. So, you okay. know, there was the old, the old Meg movie that came out. It was loosely based on the book. And then they're making a sequel to that, which is about to be in theaters now. So, yeah, looks very realistic. Yeah, you know, they're fun, I guess. Uh, yeah, I've always wanted to read the book. Um, I, anytime I watch Jaws, I read the credits and I remember that this is based on a novel. And I'm like, I need to read that one. But I never do. Uh, but I need to at some point. Uh, yeah, so plot. That's our first category for this this movie tonight. What are your thoughts on the plot? I think it's outstanding. Um, it's it's fun. It's realistic. Uh, it's not a super complicated plot. It's kind of just you know, you've got this seashore tourist town that lives on tourist dollars, <coughs> and this killer shark shows up and starts attacking swimmers along the coast of this, this village. Amity is the name of the place. Uh, they know about the shark. The cop wants to shut the beaches down because of the danger that it poses. And the mayor and all of the townspeople are very against this idea because, you know, it, it means their livelihoods. They, they live on the summer money. And so the mayor kind of bows to pressure, keeps everything open and things go bad. Uh, there is a, a child winds up getting killed along with some fishermen and uh, some swimmers and it's uh, it, it gets pretty bad. So in desperation, the mayor uh, looks to hire shark hunters to track down the shark and, and take care of the problem so they can open the beaches. Uh, our main character, Brody, is the sheriff or the chief of police in town and he winds up going out on a boat with uh, Hooper, who is a, a kind of self-employed oceanographer. He's uh, coming through a lot of money from his parents' fortune, and he has a passion for this stuff, and so this is kind of what he does. And so uh, he and Hooper, or Hooper and uh, Brody, they team up with a local shark fisherman named Quint, and they, the three of them head out on the sea to try to hunt down the shark. And... Um, that's pretty much the plot, right? They, they find it, they have trouble and they, um, kind of deal with the shark problem. Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't do a great job because there's at least four sequels to this movie, but you know, they did what they could. <laughs> can't, can't kill every shark in the, the ocean. No, no, I guess not. Um, you know, the, the plot's fun. Um, I've heard a lot of people call this movie slow, but I've never felt that it's slow. Um, every part of this movie is interesting and entertaining to me. Uh, it's got some comedy in it, which I appreciate. Uh, it, it's really one of those movies that's got everything. It's a horror movie, but really I feel like at heart, Jaws is more of an adventure movie with just some really big horror highlights in it. Um, you know, you see... Uh, comedy you see drama 
you see just straight horror. There's tons of adventure in it. There's frivolity. Frivolity? Is that a word? Frivolity? Frivolous, frivolousness? Frivolity? Uh, um, it kind of runs the spectrum. Uh, mm -hmm. It, it kind of reminds me, honestly, of the Raiders of the Lost Ark in some cases, right? Because it's yeah. just got a little bit of everything in it. Um, kind of kind of short on the romance angle, but it's in there because Brody's married and, you know, his wife and he are in love. But, you know, there's not a lot of romance here. But other than that, it's got just about all of it. Um, I love the character progression that we see in this movie. Um, you see Brody uh, in the beginning of the film. You know, he's he's a good man. He loves his family, but he's terrified of the water. He's terrified of boats. And uh, he just, he's doing his best. He's fighting the mayor, who, you know, is, is very kind of blowhard about keeping the beaches open no matter what. And um, you see Brody transform from the beginning of the film to the end of it from this kind of I'm scared of the water to being the guy that guns the shark down at the end of the movie, you know, mm -hmm. um, I love seeing the, the mayor, you see him progress. You know, he, he starts out as the blowhard and by the end of it, he, he's terrified because there was a shark attack where his kids were. And so his kids could have been victim and he, he does a full turn. Um, and honestly, I could talk for a long time, so I'm going to try to slow it down a little bit and let you get some input in. But, um, <laughs> I do want to say that despite the fact that I do love this story, it's the character building and the characters themselves that make this movie so great, in my opinion. Um, I don't think there's a character I don't like in this movie. The The mayor, I guess, is the closest thing we have to a villain, and he's not that much of a villain, really. He's just doing his best to do his job as he thinks is right. Um, yeah, man, I just I love it. I, I love everything about it. Love the plot. Love the characters, although I will say the characters are the strongest part. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to let you talk as long as you wanted because, like I said, we're going to be... I think it's there's not going to be a lot of negativity for this movie. Oh, that makes me happy to hear, John. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, this is... It's one of my favorite movies, too. Um, ever since I watched it the first time, which I don't remember when it was, but it actually hasn't been that long. This is one of my movies that I hadn't seen that I was kind of ashamed that I hadn't seen it. So mm. back in the Netflix days when we, you got DVDs in the mail, I think that's when I watched it for the first time. Wow. Um, but anyway, uh, a lot of the things you said, I agree with, uh, this is a simple movie, uh, but that's exactly what it needed to be. Um, famously it's the first blockbuster, uh, before 75 movies traditionally, movies that go to die would uh, open in the summer because everybody was outside. Um, but this movie brought beachgoers and everybody to the movies and it was the highest grossing movie of all time at that time. Yeah. This um, was, uh, this was one of the first movies where people would like actually line up early to get into the theater to see it. Like they, like if you are old enough to remember pre COVID, I guess going and lining up for the Avengers or, Star Wars or something like this movie started that mm -hmm. trend. I feel like the plot while simple is very focused. Uh, you said people said it was slow. I feel like it's just a really tight movie. There's no fat on the bone. It's, it's all about the main drive of the movie, which is the shark attacks and then taking down the shark. 
Um, and that's great. I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, basically, what you said, there's a great white shark who has basically made the Amity Beach his picnic grounds, and he's whoever's in the water, he's going to take him down. And it's up to Brody, Quint, and Hooper to track it down and, and kill it. <clears throat> um, you also mentioned <laughs> there's no villain, and I agree. There's not really a bad guy. Um, the shark Jaws is really just a predator doing what it does. Like, it has, other than a few moments, it really has no vindictive uh, uh, actions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just eating and, and doing what it does. Uh, it's what it was made to do. Um, the mayor, I guess, can, is the closest thing, but all he's doing is trying to save the town. Like, that the the Fourth of July is their moneymaker, and so if there's if the beaches are closed, all these people are in a tough spot. Um, so he's just kind of looking out for the town's best interests. Um, so it's interesting that we have such an engaging, interesting movie that's so thrilling, and there's not really an antagonist. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, again, going to your point. <laughs> Um, the reason for that is because um, the rest of the movie is so, or the other categories of the movie that we're going to be talking about are much better than the plot. Even though the plot is great, it what really makes the movie is the acting and characters and the visual effects and all that stuff. Uh, but we'll get there. <clears throat> um, also, knowing when to show the shark and when to not show the shark. Mm, uh, yeah, that's I a good one. There, the shark has a total of, I think it said four minutes of screen time in this movie. Um, I, that may be just full, full shark uh, moments, but that's not a lot. But you, you hear the music, you see the fins, you uh, get attention because you think it's a shark, but it's actually just some kid with a shark thing on his back playing a prank. Mm-hmm. Like you get, you get the POV these, shots in there. Yep. You see a lot of POV shots of the shark, um, but you don't actually see Jaws at that point. Um, so that was very important, I feel like, to making this movie great, and they pulled it off perfectly. Uh, so that those, those are my thoughts. Yeah, and I agree with you entirely on the, the shark thing. I, I didn't mention that, but that's a perfect point. They... They don't even... Sh- like, you don't even get a glimpse of the shark until, like, halfway through the film. Uh, you, you see the after effects, you know, you see some gore and you see some attacks, but you don't see the shark. All you really get is the music and the carnage that happens afterwards. And um, I think it's brilliant. And I, it's also crazy. You mentioned four minutes of screen time of the shark, something like that. Given all of the effort and all of the money and all of the time they spent to get that shark, which for those of you who don't know, the shark who is... Uh, often fondly or infamously known as Bruce um, broke down and wouldn't work. And, you know, trying to run this giant animatronic out in the open ocean, which is where they filmed this. It wasn't on a closed set. They were literally out on the water. Uh, was a nightmare. Uh, and it's notorious. There's a whole book about it that um, I, I recommend. It's great if you're interested in the film that, that talks about all this stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, all that. 
and they still pull back and don't show the shark, show the shark constantly. Um, it, it just, it works. Yeah. And I really think I don't understand. I mean, I guess I do understand movie going has changed, but you have all of these great films like Jaws and Jurassic Park and things that were where, and it's mainly Steven Spielberg, I guess, but mm-hmm. you you they know that the mind can conjure up stuff way more potent than what your eyes can. And so they know he know he knew exactly when to show and when to tell, basically. But nowadays movies just immediately, oh, there's the there's the big bad thing, full frontal, you know, all this big CG and stuff and I just feel like that's not as enjoyable as the tension that you can create in yourself when you're thinking about what this thing is or what it, what it's doing, what it looks like. I think that's just way better uh, approach to things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And you know, they, you kind of see that concept throughout the movie, Um, not in that specific sense, but like, you know, the way that they kind of tell the story in terms of introducing the main players of the movie, they're, they're not blunt about it. You know, like you kind of, you watch the movie and you learn who people are just through watching the movie. You know, they're not coming up and saying, you know, Oh, Hooper, you know, he's the, you know, we hired him. He's a rich young playboy that goes around and, you know, they don't do that. Right. Like you, the first time you meet Hooper, he's just standing on the dock and they're like, oh, you're the guy from the Oceanographic Institute. Hey, how are you? You know, like, that's it. That's all the exposition you get. And then as you learn about Hooper and he tells his stories, you learn more about the fact that, oh, you know, well, he, he has a rich father and he finances a lot of this himself and he does it because he's passionate about it. He has a lot of knowledge, both of sailing and of sharks. And then you've got Quint where, you know, you, he seems like this crazy old guy. And then the more you get to know, you've got this whole backstory of how he was in the Navy. And now he's the solo fisherman who specializes in this and he really knows his stuff, you know, and then, then, you know, you got Brody who's, he's got the stout heart, but he, yeah, he has to face his fear and he's getting out there and he doesn't know what he's doing. And the other two know that he doesn't know what he's doing. And so the way that they treat him when they're on the boat is, is funny because technically he's the one with the most power but he doesn't know anything. And so they treat him like he's a little kid when he's on the boat, you know, and he just, he falls into that role. Um, the, the way that they do that, it's not direct, just like how they don't directly show you the shark until later in the film. And I I think it's really rewarding because of that. I, I don't think this movie would be nearly as good if they were more on the nose with everything. No. And you said it, you know, we can compare this movie to Meg and, Meg is an entertaining movie. Uh, lots of thrills, lots of explosions, lots of tense moments, but it doesn't hold a candle in storytelling to Jaws mm-hmm. because Steven Spielberg knew how to be patient, knew how to formulate the story uh, in a great way. Um, well, let's get to characters and the actors that played them. Because this is where I feel like the movie shines a little bit. Sure. What did you think? Um, so I always mess this up and I get confused as to where the characters part goes. I never know if it goes in acting or plot. 
despite the fact that on our note sheets it says and acting i uh i constantly get this mixed up but <laughs> as i've mentioned before i think the characters are the highlight of this film um they're all believable but they're all distinct at the same time which i think can be very hard to do um I love the way that you see the characters grow over time, uh, personally as well as interpersonally. I like the seeing the relationships develop between specifically Broder, Brody, Quentin, Hooper is outstanding. Um, Lorianne Gray, who played Ellen Brody, uh, uh, Brody's wife, I think she did a great job being kind of the worried mom. Um, the mayor did a great job. Uh, I thought he was. Uh, believable you know he, he kind of had a weasley feel to him but not a sinister one it was more political power type stuff right which is appropriate um honestly like i i i liked every character in it uh I, there's no one really that i didn't like um i'll mention lee fierro who played mrs kentner uh she was the mother of one of the boys who was killed by the shark i thought she did great um I really don't have anything bad to say here. I, I don't think that there's any Academy Award performances, per se. Mm. Um, but I think everything is is good in terms of acting. Like, I, I have nothing to complain about. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I do think Robert Shaw delivers probably one of the best monologues I've ever heard in a movie. Um, oh wow, it, it's good, but I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm in, that's I'm impressed. That every time that scene comes on my TV, yeah, I'm laser focused, and I've it, I've heard it like three or four times now. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just great, um, and he is so believable in that role. Um, I think he threw everything he had into that. Uh, so I would I would disagree that and i think that he probably of all of them uh i could see him getting a an oscar nomination at least but i don't think he did um he did not no um i think uh agree with you that the dialogue and interactions between these characters is great uh, especially hooper and quint um watching them be at each other's throats at first and then kind of forming a uh a liking to each other later on in the movie. Um, that was good. I really enjoy uh, how, like, like you're saying, they are at odds, but once they get on the boat, they're both in their element. Yeah. You know, and they both know what they're doing. And it's interesting to see them go from fussing to instantly working as one unit. You know, I thought that was really cool. Yep. Uh, Roy Scheider is great. Uh, I like his backstory of this New York cop that ends up on the island and, but he's afraid of water. <laughs> what, what was the decision there? Like he knew there would be water. <laughs> um, watching him interact on the boat was completely believable uh, because I, I personally am not a strong swimmer. Uh, I'm not afraid of water, but um, I can see where he's coming from there. Um, and also I've had terrible seasickness on boats in the ocean. <laughs> so, uh, I get that. Um, Richard Dreyfus, great as usual in everything he does. Um, 
I really liked his performance as the oceanographer, shark nerd. Um, uh, very good. Um, each character seemed, like you said, have their own quirks and mannerisms. Um, you know, what we think about as the current summer blockbuster, those movies usually have less substance and more mm-hmm. uh, explosions and entertainment. Um, this was the first blockbuster, summer blockbuster, and it was well thought out. All the characters had ticks and quirks and things and backstories that helped you uh, get acquainted with them. Um, I thought it was great. Okay. <laughs> Our next movie will be Up in Smoke. <laughs> I agree with you completely. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know what to say there. I'm sorry. Um, because I agree with everything. Uh, I don't have anything to, to fight back or <laughs> to ask. Yeah. No. Nope. There's nothing, nothing to argue about. Uh, all right. Art direction, cinematography, and visual effects. Uh, phenomenal. Yep. Uh, this movie, a lot of people don't realize. I think that this that movie is actually gorgeous. Um, the sea, the seascapes, the the town of Amity, the, this Cape Cod kind of New England beach town. Um, the boat itself, the orca, it's just all gorgeous, and it's so well filmed. The point of view shots of the shark, the underwater footage is outstanding um it's just it's it's awesome um the the special effects still hold up today you can you can tell it's not a real shark Mm -hmm. i will i will give it that but um it still looks good because you only see glimpses of it you don't see a lot of the shark in full action so, you know, even though it is a mechanical shark, if it's just like splashing up and then going back down, it's not completely evident. And it doesn't at least have the CGI, you know, edges. Like, yeah, it, it's there and you can tell that it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the town of Amity makes me want to go to Cape Cod. I want to go on vacation there because that town looks so great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. Yeah, when I watch this movie, even though there's a shark attack going on, I want to go to the beach because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, everything looks so real and perfect. Uh, it's great. Everything about this category is great. Um, usually I have qualms about something, but cinematography cinematography is great. The art direction, set design is great. Obviously, the animatronics and uh Visual effects, the blood, the gore, the all of that is great because Steven Spielberg wanted to prove himself. He was not a household name at that point, um, so he was very meticulous about every single thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a one of the first deaths is a a girl that gets basically obliterated by the shark. Parts of her remains ends up on the beach. And there's a hand sticking out of, out of the, the sand. And originally they had a prosthetic hand and he thought it didn't look right. And so he had someone buried and their real hand was sticking up out of the, out of the sand. Like 
that's the kind of decision making where you're like, this has to be perfect. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I like the shark. I still think it holds up today. As you said, you can tell it's an animatronic shark, especially the end scene. But at that point, you're so into the movie that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, it's it's great. Um, they used some stock footage of sharks, which I thought was good. Like intermix, intermi intermixing actual footage of sharks, especially in the cage scene. Um, that was a good choice. Um I love the boat, the orca. Um, mm -hmm. Everything about it, like from the, the fishing pole that Quint was using to the barrels, the harpoon gun, the pulley that breaks, um, the boat engine exploding and stuff flying everywhere, uh, yes. the glass I mean, breaks. It's almost a character in itself, that yeah. boat. It was great. Um, and I'll tell you a little anecdote isn't really the same, but I was on a, a fishing trip in the, the ocean a few years ago and I got seasick, of course, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but we were going back to shore and the boat started having engine trouble and uh, started spewing black smoke out of the back <laughs> of it. That's awesome. And the only thing I could think was, oh God, where's... Where's the 25-foot shark that's going to eat this boat? <laughs> uh, but anyway. Um, and yeah, Amity. Amity's great. I I just, I'd like to go to the beach now. Uh, mm -hmm. after the Perfect category. I don't, I don't have any issues really with it at all. Yeah. Um, absolutely. It's great. There's also, if you look around, there's been people who have tried to track down the boat and where it is today. Uh, I think the general consensus is that it was abandoned on a beach at some point. Uh, really? But you can, you can go down that rabbit hole of the search for the, the orca. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of interesting if you're bored and looking for a way to waste some time. <laughs> that would be neat to, to be there to see it and walk around on it. All right, for the next terrible category, score. Oh, my gosh, the score. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is one of the most iconic scores of all time. This theme, everybody knows this theme, and it's two notes. It's genius. It's brilliant. And to this day, that theme can make people be afraid. It's absolutely just brilliant. Their usage of it to signify, you know, the shark is near, danger is approaching, is just mwah. And not only that, not only is the theme iconic, but every single piece of music in this movie is equally as good. It's just not associated with the shark, which doesn't associate it with the feelings, and so it's not near as well known. But this mu the music in this movie is so good. And, of course, it's John Williams. So, you know, we're just over here giving him whatever he wants, I guess. But it's yeah. so good. Well, he wasn't a big guy name then either. Like, No, he wasn't. So, no, he wasn't. 
but I don't know how he's a genius, just like Spielberg. Mm-hmm. But how do you come up with? I don't know how many iconic scores he's made. I don't know the number, but there's more than five for sure. And I just don't know how you have that in your brain to compose it and create it and always make it so good. Uh, but this he's one an is absolute master. This might be one of the most iconic of his, mm-hmm. even though I prefer other scores of his, but the Jaws theme, like everyone knows it, like you said. It's and just, it's been it's so simple yeah. and it's so good at the same time. I said there's been, two notes. Obviously, there's more than two notes eventually, but yeah. everybody knows the Yeah. And uh, it's been used in pop culture since 75. Um, mm-hmm. So great category. Um, love John Williams. Uh, there's no, there may be no better composer in movies. Um, so good. Yeah, I, I would wanna, agree with that. There, there are some huge ones out there. Yeah. Right. There are, he has peers, but I, I don't think there's a piece of music that he's made for a movie. That has not been fantastic. Yep. Now, I want to talk about... We usually do a miscellaneous. If you have some, that's fine. But I want to talk about the shooting star. Because that's the first time I've noticed it. Mm-hmm. I was watching, and near the end of the movie, there's a shooting star in the background that appears twice in two different shots. Um... And I was like, how had I never noticed that before? And I thought maybe it was an addition, like a George Lucas thing for the Blu-ray that I had. Uh, But apparently, no, it's been in the movie since the beginning. Um, And then there's this online debate about whether it's real or not, because at one point in time, Spielberg said it was real and that uh, they just got lucky. Uh, But then actual film people have that real apart and basically determined it's not real. Um, well, my question to you is, do you think it's real? And what is the significance of it? Because I don't really, I mean, I do know somewhat, but uh, maybe there's more to it than what I think. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I've never really given it much thought. Um, I just kind of thought it was there as part of the movie magic, you know, I, I never really thought about any connections or anything, you know, that it might be signifying or meaning. I thought it was just there to be pretty. <laughs> well, it's just weird. Cause like everything, everything about the movie is on land or sea. Like you kind of see, obviously you see the sky, but that's a, that's a unique thing that draws your eye. And so maybe he was hinting at E.T. Maybe. This is a continuous universe where that's E.T. falling, crash landing. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe so. Who knows? Well, I, I had read that Steven Spielberg has always been attracted to space. And so I think it was there because he enjoyed putting space type stuff in his movies. But. I had never noticed it before. I've seen Jaws, you know, not as many times as you probably, but four or five times. And uh, I've seen this movie probably at least 50 times. 
I love this movie. It, it never gets old to me. 50 is probably an exaggeration. I, I should probably take it down to about 30. 30 is realistic. I mean, that's it's great. I, I, I could always watch it, too. That's one thing about this movie that that makes it one of my favorites is that regardless of how many times I've seen it, I can always watch it again. I, I don't get tired of it. I just love the movie. No, it's it's so good. Um, do you have any miscellaneous things? That you um, know? so Chief Brody has a dog in the movie. That dog was Steven Spielberg's dog. Oh, this was not a trained and hired dog. It was literally Steven's dog at the time, which is <laughs> kind of neat. Um, the author Peter Benchley is in the movie. Uh, he's one of the news reporters on the beach. So it's kind of neat. He's a real tall, skinny guy. My favorite one is uh, the one that I learned a long time ago. But uh, there's a scene where Roy Scheider is on the boat and he sees Jaws for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he says, we're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, yeah. And that's a fully improvised line by him. It wasn't in the script. It's so iconic, too. It's one of the major lines of the movie. I yeah. love it. Um, you know, I mentioned that they called the mechanical shark that they used for this movie Bruce. Uh, if there's any Finding Nemo fans out there, you might make the connection with the big great white shark in that movie is also named Bruce. And yes, that is a direct homage to Jaws. They named him Bruce because the mechanical shark was called Bruce. That's cool. Um, Robert Shaw, I, I mentioned him before, doing a great job. Uh, that monologue that he had to deliver, he apparently was a, a fairly uh, big lover of alcohol. Um, <laughs> and he, You'd never he, know it by looking at him. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't look like a alcohol. I'm 37 at all. years old. <laughs> Call me Jeff. <laughs> um, but he did that scene a few times and screwed it up and he was drinking in between takes. And so he couldn't, none of his stuff was usable because it was completely inaudible. Like you couldn't understand. Uh, and he, he uh, contacted Steven Spielberg and he was like, I need one more shot. And he did it sober. And that's what we got was his iconic USS Indianapolis. I think he died not too many years after Jaws released. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure on that. But, uh, boy, he was perfect for the grizzled fisherman, wasn't he? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, he died in 1978. Um, I guess I should mention this. In terms of Academy Awards, um, this this movie won three Oscars. Uh, and was nominated for another one that it didn't win. Uh, it won Best Sound. It won Best Film Editing. Mm-hmm. And it won Best Music or Original Score. The one that it was nominated for, but that it did not win, was Best Picture. So a horror movie was nominated and lost. However, um, 
it lost to 75. Sorry. I, I don't know what I had it pulled up and I was looking at the wrong award. So apologies. Yeah, that's what I thought. It lost to another one of my favorite movies. Jack Nicholson's One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest. That's a hard one to beat. Hard one to beat. So if it wasn't for that one, I think it would have taken great best picture. But yeah. uh, that was a very good movie. Uh, we should also mention that this had an estimated budget of about $7 million. Um, the weekend that it opened, which remember this was 1975, it made just about what it cost back. So it made about $7 million in that first weekend. However, it's United States and Canada gross was uh, about $265 million. And it's worldwide gross was uh, almost $500 million. So they turned $7 million into $500 million with this movie. Mm-hmm. At that point, Steven Spielberg had an open ticket to do whatever he wanted, I'm sure. Yes, he did. And we're all better for it. I'm sure there are a lot of those, but do you have any more? Uh, I think that's probably enough for now. Uh, There are whole documentaries um, dedicated to the making of this movie. Um, You know, if you're really interested in it, I would suggest looking some of that up or in particular reading that book. Because there's all kinds of great, interesting stories about this that uh, you're probably not listening to here right now. But if you're interested, uh, I highly recommend you go check some of that stuff out. If nothing else, just go to YouTube and look for the making of Jaws. You'll find all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, a notoriously hard production. Mm-hmm. So over time, maybe over budget a little. Um, I think it was, was it... Uh, what was the movie? Maybe The Abyss. I think it was The Abyss. Um, the director of The Abyss helped me out. John James Parker. Cameron. Or James, James Cameron. Cameron. James Cameron, when he went to film The Abyss, he asked Steven Spielberg for some advice. Oh, yeah. And Spielberg's advice was don't film in water, period. <laughs> <laughs> he says it's miserable, it's awful, and don't do it. Yeah. It might have been Waterworld. Yeah, it was Waterworld. It was Waterworld. It was yeah. Waterworld. I remember that. I feel that like now. there was something with the Abyss also. but uh, Yeah, mean, it was notorious for being just a plagued production, and that was the biggest problem, was they were out on open salt water. They're at the whims of the weather and the sea, and they're trying to make a movie, and it was just hard to do. Plus, he was blazing trails at this point. Nobody had ever tried anything like this. You know, he's... He's built this massive mechanical shark, and he's trying to run it in salt water with boats. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's hard enough just to make a movie, but he wanted to make one on, on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Overall thoughts and star rating for Jaws. Uh, so, I mean, just to reiterate what I've said, I think this movie is just awesome it's one of my favorite movies of all time i never get tired of it i could watch this movie over and over and over again i'd usually watch it once or twice a year at least sometimes more than that um it's a horror movie and it's got some very horrifying parts in it but it's a lot more than that it's a wonderful character piece 
Um, you've got, you know, character growth. You've got great special effects. You've got drama. You've got adventure, lightheartedness, and comedy all in this just awesome package of a movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Go watch this movie. It's, in my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever made. I love it. Uh, 10 out of 10. No question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. This is this movie's perfect. Um, I I kind of equate it to uh, a movie we have watched semi-recently, which was Speed. Mm-hmm. Um, another summer blockbuster that has way more depth and meat on its bones than you would think. Uh, and that's Jaws, for sure. Sort of a pun. <laughs> um, but Steven Spielberg, great. Um, everything about this movie, from the animatronics to the way they show the shark and don't show the shark, to the characters, the acting, the score, the camera work, the plot, everything is well thought out, meticulously created, and just wonderful. And yeah, if you haven't seen it, or way overdue, as I was when I saw it 20 years ago or whatever it was. Um, so, also a 10 out of 10. I mean, hey, hey I, yes. Don't think I can get oh, My day is made. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Wonderful, wonderful movie. That's the first time we've done that. Is it? I think so. I don't think we've ever both given a movie a 10 before. Holy cow. You gave Raiders a 9? I think that's right, yeah. Okay. Now you're going to make me look it up. All right, let's move on to Spice Awards. The Spice Awards. We have the best actor, most underrated performance, favorite scene, favorite character, favorite quote, and the Salt Award which may be difficult. Um, <laughs> Matt, what do you have for best actor? Best actor, man. Okay, so these these get tough because I love everything. Um, but I had to give this one to Robert Shaw. 60. Oh, God, he's 35 years old. Don't drink that. Mr. Quinn. Mr. Quinn. Mr. Quinn. You're going to need an extra hand. This is Matt Hopper. I know who he is. I have crewed three trans packs. Transplants. No, 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 no. He's from the Oceanograph. America's Cup trial. Mr. Hooper, I'm not talking about pleasure boating or day sailing. I'm talking about working for a living. I'm talking about sharking. Well, I'm not talking about hooking some poor dogfish or sand shark. I'm talking about finding a great white. Porkers? Talking about porkers, Mr. Hooper. Time is sheep uh, He does give that amazing uh, monologue, like you mentioned. He's uh, he's super believable. Like he he just embodies what I imagine is the old grizzled fisherman that's out there. You know, he's got his fisherman friend throat lozenges in the cold mist, and he's out there, you know, putting in the work and looking down on you landlubbers. He's almost <laughs> a pirate. He's uh, he's just awesome. But, I mean, that said, I don't think you could go wrong with any of the three main characters here. They were all three outstanding. Uh, 
Brody was great, and uh, so was Hooper. I, I think they were all three just outstanding. So that's that's a tough choice, but I, I went with Robert Shaw mainly because of well the monologue that he gives. Yep, I also picked him, um, and I also agree. Like it's like a a, a race, a two hundred meter dash, and you've got three top racers at the end of the finish line, and it's neck and neck. Like that's kind of how that is for uh, Robert Shaw, Roy Scheider, and Richard Dreyfus. I will also point out, I, I really enjoyed the part where they're having the town meeting and he interrupts it by scratching the chalkboard yeah. and then he gives them their talk and then he just leaves. He doesn't <laughs> wait for an answer. He just says what he has to say and he leaves. Leaves. Yep. I love that scene too. Yeah. He put, so I feel like he put so much into that um, and he has, he is the perfect casting for that because like you said, he's, he's kind of a modern day pirate in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that monologue, my goodness. And, and the, the ladies of Spain song that he sings multiple times, like farewell and adieu to ye fair Spanish ladies, <laughs> farewell and adieu to ye ladies of Spain. It's great. Oh, it's so good. Yep. And half of the dialogue, I really don't know if I understood because he is kind of doing like, that's what you expect, though, when you look yeah. at him. That's exactly how you'd expect him to sound. That's what you want. But it makes you pay attention more to him, too, because you're trying to understand what he's saying. <laughs> we need the uh, the Brad Pitt subtitles for him, like yeah. they did in Snatch. Better yeah. <laughs> 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 get boo-boss. Thanks. All right, most underrated performance. Uh, another kind of tough one. Uh, but after some debate, I am giving this award to Murray Hamilton, who played Mayor Vaughn. This is not the time or the place to perform some kind of a half-assed autopsy on a fish. And I am not going to stand here and see that thing cut open and see that little Kettner boy spill out all over the dock. I uh, I think he did a great job coming across as this kind of wheeler dealer of this, uh, you know, tourist town. And, uh, you know, he's very, he kind of screws over Brody more than once, but he's doing it for what he thinks are the right reasons. He thinks Brody's overreacting and doing all this for nothing. Uh, seeing him do his about face when he finds out that, you know, the shark had attacked and that the kids were there. Um. I think he did a performance that a lot of people overlook here. And uh, I wanted to give him some props. So there you go. No, I liked him too. And he's kind of like the one antagonist, if you have to think of him that way. Um, mm -hmm. He does apparently coerce the uh, autopsy to be changed. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which well, it's a fair point. I mean, I don't want to be skilling, you know, spilling a dead boy's corpse in front of all these reporters and civilians. Like, fair enough, Mayor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he was good. Um, sometimes I'm not sure if I understand what most underrated performance is. I picked Roy Scheider, who I just <laughs> said, main was, character. <laughs> I said was one of the top three for best actor. <laughs> At this point, he was one of the most famous actors in the movie, too. Yeah. 
But at the same time, any problems, you never feel like you're accomplishing anything. Violence, rip-offs, muggings. Kids can't leave the house. You gotta walk them to school. But in Amity, one man can make a difference. In 25 years, there's never been a shooting or a murder in this town. Where are we? Right in the stretch where he's been feeding. You get the right show on this thing? No, it's a closed-circuit TV system. I have underwater cameras fore and aft. Who pays for all this stuff? Government? The Institute? This stuff? If we're saying Robert Shaw is the best actor, Richard Dreyfuss is almost a... I wouldn't say he's a household name, but more people know who he is than Roy mm -hmm. Scheider, I believe. That's true. That's probably true. It's and hard his... to tell because either one of us were alive then. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he... His performance was subtle. Like it was less um, like Robert Shaw was the kind of, you know, he was in your face, like very abrasive and uh, cranky and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Richard Dreyfuss, his character was the, <laughs> you know, ah, ah, kind of loud nerd um, in your face a little bit too. Roy Scheider is kind of more subdued. He wasn't, there were rare moments where he was kind of worked up, but he was the moral compass, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, I feel like he did a really good job there. Um, and I think if you watch this movie, he probably is number three, if we're being honest, of the, of the three, mm -hmm. um, as far as performances go. So I just wanted to give him some props uh, for being the chief of police and, and doing a good job in that, that role. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's he did great. This is a movie I feel like a lot of people, when they think of Jaws, they just think of the shark, you know. And, the, you know, this movie, I, I meant to mention this when we were given our summaries, but this movie made people afraid of swimming pools and bathtubs. I knew people mm -hmm. who would, didn't want to dangle their legs over the bed because they were afraid of Jaws. Like, mm -hmm. this movie hit people on a psychological level that a lot of movies never get close to um like i knew people who legitimately were afraid to take baths after seeing this movie that's how much this got to them yeah and well. uh it's just you know when you look at it from that perspective you think shark blood scary you think about the scene where quint gets eaten alive when the orca gets sunk uh which you know doesn't look as good now as it did when i was seven but still is great mm -hmm. um it's just that's the focus and when you watch it now with a more critical eye you really can see how well these the actors are actually shining and how much of a great job they're doing yeah, yeah it's it's good um favorite scene uh this was an easy pick for me even though i do love all of the scenes uh, and that's the, the conversation that they have when they're on the boat. Hey, Hope, you want to feel something permanent? You just put your hand underneath my cap. You just feel a little lump. Knock on all on St. Patty's Day, Boston. I got that beat. I got that beat. 
some moray eel. Fit right through my wetsuit. Well, nope, no, listen, I don't know about that, but I entered an arm wrestling contest in Loki Bar in San Francisco. You see this? Now I can't extend that. Do you know why? Got to the semifinal, celebrating my third wife's demise. Big Chinese fella, he pulled me right off. taking samples. I got something for you. That's the thresher. You see that? Chief Thresher's tail. Where, you know, they, they're it's drinking and they're having a good time and they're relaxing. And, uh, you know, Quint starts singing and then they start in with the scar comparisons. And then that leads to the story of the Indianapolis. It's just, uh, I love that scene so much. Mm-hmm. It's just three guys hanging out and and letting off a little bit of steam and some downtime, you know. I don't think we mentioned that the Indianapolis story that he tells is at least somewhat true. Like, yes. That was an actual sinking that happened, and there were sharks that killed a lot of the uh, naval officers. I, uh, I want to mention here, too, I love the way that Hooper's face changes when he finds out that he was on the Indianapolis. Because, you know, they're talking about scars, and Brody asked Quint, what's that one there? And he's like, oh, it's an old tattoo. I got removed. And then Hooper starts pushing. No, oh, what was it? What was it? And he's like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. And he's like, no, really, what was it? And he finally tells him. And then Brody, Hooper, gets stone-faced as soon as he finds out. And then Brody's like, what? What's going on? What's the yeah, end of that? And so that's when Quint tells the story. And it's, oh, it's just like you're saying, you just zone in and it's riveting. And he's such a good storyteller right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just outstanding. Yep. Great scene. How Um, about you? Yeah, I went with the, I, I, as I said, like the boat really fascinated me. Um, And so the scene where they're trying to tag barrels to the shark, Using the harpoon gun. Um, He's circling the boat for us. Come on, come on. Amity Point Light Station to Orca. This is Amity Point Light Station to Orca. Come in, Orca. Orca, come in. I have Mrs. Martin Brody here. Put her on. Come on, Mark, Mark, move, move, move! We're not going out there. Beyond the edge of the barrels. Go to the end of the barrels. Further out. What? Further out. Why? Go further out. What for? Will you go to the end of the pulpit, please? What? Will you please go to the end of the pulpit? What for? I need to have something in the foreground to give it some scale. Foreground my ass. Your husband's all right, Mrs. Brody. He's fishing. He just got a couple of stripers. We'll bring him in for dinner. We won't be long. We haven't seen anything yet. Don't go out. A lot of nonsense to me because I don't know anything about boats, but I feel like everything that they're saying is something you would actually do on the boat if you were trying to do that thing. Um, and they they have these just huge yellow barrels that they're trying to tag the shark with to keep him afloat uh, and not go underwater. Which is genius, by the way. Great idea. 
then you've got you're not showing the shark but you know where he is and you're terrified because you just see these barrels flying across the surface of the ocean <laughs> it's so good what a what a great way like at one point there's three barrels on this shark Mm-hmm. And that is now the shark. Like you don't even see the thing, but you see those barrels move. And then, then he's so big that he pulls all of the barrels underwater. <laughs> and you're just like, oh no! It's yeah. oh, it's so good. How do you? And and on top of that, this is they let you know this is something a shark shouldn't be able to do because Quint's like he'll never be able to pull three barrel, barrels underwater. Yeah. And then he does it, and you're yeah. like. <laughs> so good this is the more we talk about it the more I'm like this is even more of a perfect movie but um, that's my favorite scene is when they're trying to do that and um, there's one point where Coop uh, Brody in his inexperience he gets the rope trapped around Hooper's legs and mm-hmm. tightens and he gets injured. <laughs> yeah, I love how Brody just fumbles through that whole scene, right? Like, yes, no, Hooper's like, get up on the bow so I can get a picture for scale. And he's like, hell no, I'm not going out there. Are you crazy? And then Quint's like, get on the wheel and keep her straight. And he's like, huh, what? <laughs> just hold the wheel. You'll be fine. <laughs> and then as soon as he's able to, as soon as Hooper gets the tie made, which is awesome, too, because he's like, tie the knot, Hooper. Hooper, come on with that knot. And he's like, don't wait on me. And he goes and he gets the transmitter and he's tying it on. And like, just in the nick of time, he gets the knot done. Yeah. And then as soon as it's done, he runs up and he just kind of pushes Brody out of the way and grabs the (laughs) wheel. And he's like, let's go. (laughs) I love it, dude. Yeah. And Brody has, the one thing he brought on the boat was his pistol. (laughs) Thinking that that's going to help him. (laughs) He shoots a few shots at the shark and does nothing. Uh, all right. Moving on. Favorite character. Uh, so for favorite character, I went with Hooper, who was played by Richard Dreyfuss. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. I mean, we're going to have to tell the Coast Guard. Mr. Foreman, we're going to have to contact the shark We're going to have to put on because we're the world is going to come in here. I don't know one of you are familiar with our problems. I think that I am familiar with the fact that you are going to ignore this particular problem until it swims up and bites you on the ass. Now, wait a second, wait a second. There are two ways to deal with this problem. You're either going to kill this animal or you're going to cut off its food supply. Larry, we have to close the beaches. Brody, sick vandalism. That is a deliberate... Um, i got to tell you a little bit of story here so that this makes a little more sense. Uh, This movie, when I was little, terrified me. Um, It scared me to death. But I have a tendency, when I get really afraid of something like that, to kind of just absorb all I can about that thing. And so I didn't know this back when I was, you know, seven and I was watching this movie. But, like... I got fascinated with sharks after this and I got every like kids illustrated shark book that I could find. And I read all about them and I knew all the different kinds and I could point out what they were and what they looked like. And that led to me for a long time, wanting to go into a career as an oceanographer, just like Hooper. I was like, what a life, right? Like to to be out on the ocean, on a boat, chasing sharks and adventure and having all this knowledge and all this cool scientific toys that you can play with to, to get the stuff you need. 
And honestly, a, a lot of my life was influenced by that one character. Um, on top of that, I liked that he was always kind of a happy-go-lucky one on the crew. Like, he was always the lighthearted one, whereas everyone else was kind of grimmer and darker. And uh, I don't know. I've always been drawn to that character. I've always liked him. And, uh, yeah, w without question, my favorite character is Hooper. Yeah, he's... I like him too. And as you said uh, previously, like they take these characters, they start out as basically cookie cutter, and then they add on their backstory throughout the movie. And so we find out how he got into loving sharks and he has a lot of money, like all this stuff you find out about him and that makes him even more interesting. Um, I had to go with Quint. I mean, he just needs the draw for me. Uh, this character that hunts sharks for a living. And I love, again, more stuff. I love his little shack where he has all the skeletons of the sharks, shark mouths as trophies hanging up in his uh, little shack where he's got stuff. Um, just great. Mm -hmm. He's one of the best characters ever made. He's wonderful. Yeah, I agree. He's he's outstanding. He's uh, it's a shame that he beats his end in this movie because I would love to have seen more of him. Yeah, but a great death too. Like, uh, one of the most memorable ever. Yeah. <clears throat> um. All right. <laughs> Favorite quote. <clears throat> Farewell and adieu. To ye fair Spanish lady. It's that song, hands down. Yeah. When I was a boy, every little squirt wanted to be a harpooner or a sword fisherman. And he got here. Portable shower or a monkey cage. Anti-shark cage. Anti-shark cage. You go inside the cage. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> I find myself singing that just randomly all the time. It's so iconic, and it seems like such a strange juxtaposition for old Harden Quint and this silly little song that he likes to sing. That seems sounds kind of it's kind of sad, but it's also just kind of lighthearted at the same time, you know. Um, I mean, I guess he's a pirate, and that's a sea shanty, right? It's just I don't know. I love it, so that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> mm hmm
Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady. Just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. Eleven hundred men went into the water. The vessel went down in twelve minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, thirteen footer. You know, you know that when you're in the water, chief. You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What well, we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret. No distress signal had been sent. <laughs> they didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right in the uh, Although I wouldn't mind hearing you put on a gruff voice and delivering that monologue for us. <laughs> That's what you should have done, is just mumbled it. <laughs> I will say, if it wasn't for the song, it would be, we're going to need a bigger boat. But that feels awfully cliche. But it's yeah. such a great line. The way he just, like, he sees it, and then he doesn't yell or freak out. He just slowly backs up. <laughs> and then he sees Quint, and Quint's like, what the heck just happened to you? And that's when he's like, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> Quint's eyes get big, and he runs out on the deck to see what the heck just happened. Yeah. Great. All right. Salt award? How about the water? Yeah, the water was salty. The water was very salty. No, <laughs> I, I actually thought about this. And I've got some. Have one. I have one. I have okay. one. My salt award is the townspeople of Amity. Okay. They're Idiots. so just hive mind wishy washy, you know. Like they're, it's almost like they don't have any kind of their own thoughts. Mm -hmm. They're just like influenced by whatever the character on screen is saying at the time. So, you know, like when the mayor's like, we can't close the beaches. It's the 4th of July. They're all like, rah, 4th of July, rah, rah. <laughs> and then the lady's like, my son died. And they're all like, oh. And they're all like, we're going to kill the shark. And they're like, kill the shark. You know what I mean? Like, I think maybe a little more personality in the background characters might have been nice. Um as it was, you know, you had most of them were like, we can't close, we'll starve, you know. Meanwhile, you've got the the poor lady whose son was killed crying, and they're all just like, I don't know. I feel like they, there could have been a little more variety there, but that's extremely nitpicky. It's never bothered me before, and I had to think about it to come up with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't have one, uh, so I'll just use yours. There you uh, go. Because I, I do agree with that. Like, it's kind of like reminds me of the, I don't, I guess they're fish, but on SpongeBob SquarePants, 
Whenever mm-hmm. they have the fish together and they're all like, yeah. ah, and then, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> it, it's a little cartoony in that way. Yeah, so it is. But I don't know, like, how do you fix that? And yeah, like, I don't know. Especially you know, when your movies, it's like you said, it's a tight movie. You know, you'd have to make the movie longer, maybe. Introduce mm-hmm. more characters, which takes emphasis off of the good ones that you have. So I don't know. Um, I will say, and this is another real nitpicky one because it's never bothered me before, but it would be neat if they somehow could make the shark look a little more real. Mm-hmm. In uh, in particular, the scene where the shark eats Quint. He was kind uh, of... Like, it gave me nightmares as a kid. To me, that was real. I was seeing it happening. But as an adult looking at it, I'm like, yeah, that looks pretty fake. And I think maybe a lot of it is the mechanical motion, which you can't help it. It's, what, 75? And yeah. it's all pneumatic. So, I mean, what can you do? That, yeah. that was, like, top of the line for that period of time. Nobody had ever seen anything like that. So you can't really complain about the motion too much. I think maybe it's the eyes. Because, you know, Quint mentions in his monologue the there's death in those eyes, you know. And I think maybe they were trying to capture that. But they almost look like he's dead. You know, like they look <laughs> frosted over. Yeah. So maybe if they could have cleaned the eyes and made them shiny, that would have helped. But mm-hmm. all in all, that's it's all small potatoes and it didn't really bother me. I'm just I'm trying to think of things. I do I guess I have one is that 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 moment where the shark jumps the boat and starts to sink and attack them. To me that seemed more what a monster would do that's actually trying to kill them than a, a, just a natural predator. Um, so I guess that whole scene, while it's great, um, it did seem out of place with what everything else the shark was doing, which was seemed believable that of things that a shark would do. Yeah. Um, I guess. Well, I mean, in terms of what a shark would do, most of the movie's pretty unbelievable. Like, <laughs> I guess. But um, it's still, you know, it, it all kind of has a loose tie to a, a series of attacks that occurred in New Jersey, like I think in the early 1900s. And they mentioned that in this movie. There was a uh, there was a particular area, I think it was New York, New Jersey. There was a particular area in New Jersey where a series of shark attacks happened. And it was never proven, but it was theorized that it was the same shark that did the attack. And I think there were like, like a guy and it, I think it was almost the same kill count as this movie, honestly. Like, I think it was a dog. Um, a guy lost his leg and two boys were killed or something like that. Um, and so there, there's a little bit of record of that happening, but for the most part, like great whites aren't out there exclusively hunting humans and chasing boats or anything like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So he's, Jaws is a bit of a monster in this and less of a shark and more of a monster. However, um, it is presented like he's a shark and it, in a very believable way. Yeah. All right, then. Um, yes, it's that time, isn't it? Yes. So. Oh, the, no. Uh, no, 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 no. With the, uh, the upcoming uh, release of Yet another Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, yeah. Where Harrison Ford is 80 years old. Um, (laughs) 
we're going to be watching the 1984 Indiana Jones movie, The Temple of Doom. Kalima! <laughs> Outstanding. That'll be yes. fun. I love this is so this is the first Indiana Jones movie I ever watched, which mm-hmm. is why I think it holds a, a special place in my heart. This one has put some scars on me too, like Jaws did. Yes. The, the whole heart grabbing scene that traumatized me. And not nearly as bad as people want to say it is. I will Mm-mm. go to my grave saying that. Um, it's probably the, uh, it's definitely the weakest of the first three movies. Yeah, I put it at number three. But, but it is, we're reviewing it now. I need to shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned in two weeks when we will be watching that movie uh, starring Harrison Ford. What? Another Spielberg movie. Yeah, watch out for that Wilhelm screen. Wow. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> we'd love it if she's... <laughs> Uh, Join us next time when John attempts another try at the Wilhelm scream <laughs> where he doesn't sound like a mouse. <laughs> I'll just put the Wilhelm scream over it and then it sounds there like There you it. go. <clears throat> we would love it if you'd subscribe to the Cinema Man podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can go to cinemamanpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or want to give us your take on a movie, you can email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Thanks for listening. Yay. So, John, 